couple of years ago, I was asked by hopefully future friends of the show, Marcus Mumford and Carrie Mulligan, uh, to really exceptional people. Uh, they asked me to emcee this charity event that they were they were throwing for Children in Conflict, War Child UK. It's a great organization. And so I was so happy to, to be a part of it and to help. And um, I was a little bit nervous about having the responsibility of emceeing an event like that, um, especially since I knew there were going to be some, you know, really entertaining people there. Uh, and then I found out John Oliver was going to be one of the presenters. And a couple of days before the event, I said, well, John doesn't want to do that, emcee it. And, and they said, well... Maybe you'll like co-emcee it, and um, and I and I said, yeah, okay. If it seemed like he was on board with that, so when I got there, uh, they asked me to. They said, why don't you start and and basically introduce John, which I did. I had a few things planned out, and I got a, I got a couple chuckles, and then John came out uh, and really was the MC and just destroyed. I mean, he from the first line he had, he was so fun. You can only imagine. And I realized that destroyed in a good way. Oh yeah, yeah, he killed. And um, this year I was asked back to do it, and uh, John was the full time MC. They moved me kind of toward the end and had me do. They said, "Are you are you okay just not doing anything funny?" Basically. So I, of course, was just happy to be there. Well, it's important to learn your place. Yes, it's and your lane so that you can stay in it. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. And you're listening to Life is Short. I'm your host, Justin Long. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. With me, as always, is my brother Christian, who's also, what would you say your lane is? Well, you're emceeing this show. That's true. I'm capable of doing some level. If John I, Oliver wanted to oh, MC, host no, this show, yeah, well, you would have to step down. Yes. It's yes. John Oliver. Oh, gl- gladly. I, I'd, and I'd listen. Uh, we shouldn't sh- come out like just start the show shitting on it. People are listening. It's not shitting on it. It's it's, it's admiring how impressive yes. he is. Yeah, it's true. He and he really is. God, is he? It's like if um they asked Billy Crystal to co-host the Oscars with you. Yeah, you'd be like, why well, just maybe have Billy Crystal do it? <laughs> I know, I know. Or like, I was trying to think of a football analogy when I because I was going to m- mention this before they said, don't be funny. Avoid any kind of humor because they put me in a more serious part of the evening because the evening is – the whole thing is like – is a very serious thing. It's about um, rehabilitating these kids from conflict zones and who have seen horrible things. And there was an incredible speaker who was a former child soldier in Sierra Leone, this guy Mohammed, Mohammed Sidibe, who's now like a, an impressive lawyer at this huge law firm. But so it it, it is like – it's weird. It's like you have to kind of toe the line between acknowledging this very serious thing but in a light-hearted way. It's strange because I think I think you're obviously capable of being a serious person and you have serious elements to your personality. But when I think of your lane in terms of yeah. being a presenter of, of any sort, I wouldn't think your lane would be introducing something more serious. No, I know. And I wasn't all that comfortable doing it. I was happy to do it because it was I was happy to be a part of this thing. But yeah, it felt a little... And then you feel like you're being heavy and the whole thing is heavy. And I don't know. It just wasn't. It's not where I'm comfortable. Well, why are we talking about emceeing things? Well, because our guest today played. Thank you for asking. I was just curious. You were. Uh, you were. That was an MC move. You know, to like. I. You were getting it back on. Track. Maybe that's my lane. Yeah, your lane is to get me when I go out of my lane. No, no, that's different. I think I'd be a good MC. 
You would be. You'd be. You control the. the I don't flow. know if I'd be a funny MC, but I think I would be good at like, you know, keeping the ball well that's in the a, air. That's another thing that John keeping Oliver, things moving. He did that very well too. He was like, because you really have to, move, you know. And now introducing, he did a lot of that. He he kept it uh, the ball in the air in mm-hmm. such a great way. Such efficient. A, yeah, he would be great at hosting the show. Um, but yeah, you're right. Why are we talking about MCs? Our guest today played. I think one of the most famous MC characters in history in a in a little show called Cabaret. Our guest today, I went off mic for that. That wasn't a good move for an MC. Our guest today is <laughs> our, our guest today is the incredible Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. What did I say? You screamed it. Oh yeah. yeah so you did it in more. See, that would be your lane. You know, more like let's let's be a little bit more respectful. That's why. Let's not. You're not like introducing Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Alan! <laughs> I know, yeah, Alan coming. Well, Alan also has like a, um, I, I don't think you would have minded that. Like he's got like a body, playful, yeah, like let's let's be, you know, goofy. And like, would you say like, remember we used to use that word ribald? Ribald. Yeah, ribald. He, it was, can you describe him as ribald? Well, I don't really know for sure because I haven't heard from him. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, but, well, we're about to. I'm excited. So why don't we just get to that? Well, he play a little context. Oh, well, maybe right. a little more context. Like, I don't mean to MC explain you. <laughs> but um, You should. But in addition to playing the MC uh-huh. in, the, in Cabaret on Broadway and winning a Tony Award for it, it's, it's, it's like one of the most legendary Broadway performances of all time. Th- how many times? Three different times? I thought he did it twice, but maybe three. He did it in the West End. It's, it's, a, it's like an iconic performance yeah uh, alan cumming playing the mc on broadway it but, is. but he's done so many other great things and now he has a great book out yes it's called baggage uh i really loved it i can't recommend it enough it's um he's just very forthcoming and honest and very funny he's a, he's a great writer too you're about to hear from him how um how eloquent he is and what a great voice so if you've got a chance listen on listen to it on on audible or some you know not an ad but oh, he reads it Oh, oh, he sure does. Oh, wow. I bet that's... I'm is guessing. that how you consumed the book? No, or did you read no. Because I, I, I read it before when it was just in um, a PDF form. Because I read it before it before it came out. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got there. Lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had a little inside track. But um, he, it is, it's really infectious. It's a page turner. That's quite a page turner. And um, again, he's he's like so f- funny and eloquent, but like also very honest um, about his father, uh, the the very turbulent di- relationship he had with his father, and and coming to terms with that and processing it, and um, and moving forward, which he seems to have done in a really admirable way. Uh, I I just I loved it. So uh, and and so a lot of the conversation is about that, um, but it, it helps us talk about his life because of course it's a memoir. So. Uh, Hopefully you guys all enjoyed this conversation with a very cheeky, very talented, lovely, legendary, the legendary, iconic Alan Cumming. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. Dell TechFest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technology is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. 
Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. If you're a fan of breathtaking, shocking, and sometimes sinister tales, then check out Audible's new collection of exclusive thrillers. It features captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. So you feel like you're in the story. One title that's next on my list is called Trapdoor by J.P. Pomer. Uh, it's about five strangers. You know I love stories about strangers who get held hostage in a cellar that's filling with water. water. And the whole thing's being live streamed by a camera high above reach. Shorties, listen along with me. As an Audible member, you can get one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash long or text long to 500-500. That's audible.com slash long or text long to 500-500. Hello, hello again. Shaboom and up we'll meet again. Ooh, I like that sound. Oh, am, am I forcing my voice down now because it, I'm so in love with the richness of it? Your mellifluous tones. It, it's, uh, is it too mellifluous? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm just going to take a bite of a sandwich. Yes, okay, so Alan is eating a sandwich. I'm just describing to our listeners. It is. It looks to be a baguette, maybe some lettuce. A vegan turkey club. So Alan, while he's eating his vegan turkey sandwich... <laughs> uh, I have to just tell him and all of you listening how much I love this book. I, I, there, I, I'm looking now at my, if you see me looking down, it's just that I'm referencing all, all of these parts that I copied and pasted that um, I am going to try to apply to my own life. There's so much of your insights into relationships and uh, some of it is specific to acting and uh, certainly the theater, but so much of it were, were just these universal truths that that I think a lot of people will, will find valuable. I loved it, and, and I, I want to ask you some specific things about it, but it just generally, that's Alan... Um, that's so nice. Oh, I, I truly. Um, did you talk about being a vegan in the... No, I didn't no, talk okay. about it in that. I wasn't vegan until when the book ends. It ends in 2007. Okay. So I um, wasn't vegan then. I was vegetarian, I suppose, but yeah, no, I didn't talk about that then. Well, you are very sensitive to the plight of um, one particular animal, uh, a great story that uh, I, I want to ask you about. The goldfish. <laughs> the goldfish, yes. Uh, it was very sweet. How concerned you were with the safety of this goldfish. Um, but but really, but also the, the chimpanzee that you worked with on Buddy. Oh, oh, you know, it's so awful because there's been a development. Tonka, well, so I made this film in like 1997 and there was these chimps in it and I was the chimp look her after and that's my character I was I was Renee Russo's assistant and she had a gorilla and that wasn't a real gorilla it was an animatronic or uh-huh. thing and there was four chimps in this in the actual film and there was one chimp called in real life he was called Tonka and he played Joe so anyway there was a you know my character and he were great friends and he he we got on really well I mean I loved working with these chimps just having chimps Oh, you know, yeah. c- climb over you. It was so great. And I was I, I was in the mid, uh, towards the end of shooting that film, um, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. I had to go out to, uh, also it was in LA, you know, both films. And I had to go out to this place in the desert where the, where the chimps um, lived and where they were training, like on the way to Ojai. Uh-huh. And that's where they had their sort of, uh, where they lived. 
And I would go out there and, you know, sort of train with the chimps, which just sort of meant them getting used to me. And I right. sort of let them cuddle. Like sniffing you and... Yeah, yeah, all that. And so then and then we made the film. And during the film, he got really, we got really attached. He got really jealous of, like, the makeup ladies touching me. And he would he would get really... In the morning, like, I would see him sitting on his little chair and the trainer, they had to maintain eye contact all the time. And then he the trainer would see me and he would say, OK, and Tonka would run across the set and leap into my arms. It was magical. And then... Oh, it sounded... Uh, it was so nice. And then after the film, the next year, I came back to do the press thing and they, I thought I was going to, you know, be reunited with him. And he he did, I've got, actually, here's the painting that I talked oh. about. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Ellen's showing me a wall of... That's his handprint. That's his handprint. He did that painting. This is a painting by a chimp, I'm sure. Oh, you know. my God. And that was sent to me in um, Budapest because the next film I made was this really dark film in Budapest and I was really depressed. And so my friend Caroline, who directed the film that Tonka was in, sent me as a sort of, you know, get pep me up thing was this painting by this chimp. Anyway, basically, uh, the next year, they wouldn't let me see him because he was now six and was now sexually aggressive. And they were basically worried that if he saw me, he would um, perform yeah. a sex act on me. And, <laughs> right. Uh, right. A non-consensual so, one, obviously. A non-consensual one. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, anyway, and then, then he was, were they specific about what sex act he would do or they, it was anybody's guess at that point. I mean, I had my own idea of what I thought it was going to be, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but they let me, so the thing is they let me groom, they let him groom me. He wanted to groom me all the time. That's right. And, and, and the thing is the trainers wouldn't, and like, he would try to play with me. He basically, he thought I was another chimp. Because it would grow dangerous, Alan. Is that why the yes? Yeah. Well, because if they do aggressive play, that's that's fine. But it's they're right. they're stronger than us, and so he could hurt me. Yeah. And but the fact that he wanted to, and that he wanted to groom me, meant that he thought I was another chimp. And I just thought that was the most the biggest compliment I'd ever had. Oh yeah. And so on the last day of the film, they let him groom me a bit, and yeah. so that when they groom you, chimps, they make this kind of noise. Huh. Things. And then they sort of, you know, they pick your hair and they look right. under my armpits. And he was, you know, he wanted to go further down. They were like, no, and my legs. <laughs> well, now, and like, yeah, because you detail all this in the book. It's very funny the way you talk about it. But it's also, I was I was so curious what that actually felt like. So we talked to Dane, Dr. Jane Goodall. I was lucky enough to talk oh. to, uh, to her on this show. And um, she, of course, has a much rich, richer background than either of us could ever hope. So I'm wondering, somebody that's a little closer to myself in terms of their experience with chimps, what that felt like, what, what to a layman. Uh, it feels a, like it felt really lovely because I knew he really wanted to do it and he was getting to do something he'd wanted to do. <laughs> did you feel bad that there weren't, I wonder this, that there, that you didn't have any parasites. I imagine you, he didn't find anything. <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, I didn't think of that. I should have popped a few in perhaps. Uh-huh. But he, he, no, he was looking through my hair and everything and loved, it was fascinating with my legs and, you know, armpits was fine. And, I just, it, it, but then it became like, oh, this is not, this is, we're it's going, over, stepping over a line here. Yeah. And he wanted to go down, you know, into my pubes and stuff. And, and of course, we didn't let him do that. Um, but then I felt bad for him because, oh, that's a shame because he's, you know, he's sort of coitus interrupt us a bit, you know. We've yeah. And he was probably thinking, well, why interrupt that? I mean, why? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the whole thing was, it was, but anyway, I guess that's the whole thing in microcosm of, of dealing with wild animals in a sort of, you know, domesticated setting. That was sort of it right there. But so then I, basically what happened was I thought he, they told me he was retired and had gone to live in Palm Springs. 
Uh-huh. So I, you know, I always think of palm strings as gay people and old people. And now I think I think gay people, old people, and um chimps. Gay, gay and chimps, also yeah. Yeah. my, my old gay uh, chimps. Yes, my my joke and the thing is because you know, I, I presumed that Tonka was if not if he was not gay, then he was certainly by Curious George. Thank uh, it's you such very a good much. joke. It's such a good joke, Alan, <laughs> that I wondered if the whole story had been set up just for that line. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, <laughs> I didn't even think of that until I was writing the book. Oh, oh really? But then anyway, so then Is that one of those lines while you're writing that you just think, oh, Yes, it, it's I was like, that's hilarious. Yes, <laughs> by Curious George. By Curious George. Uh, anyway, so, um, except there's a, uh, the, the, there's a, actually a song, there's a group called The Wet Spots. Have you ever heard of them? No, it's a great Oh, you should look them up. They're hilarious from Vancouver. And they're kind of like a little uh, couple, uh, a man and woman couple, and they sing these really hilarious songs. Huh. Like as, um, and they're really kind of, you know, loungy. And then you listen huh. to the lyrics and you're like, what? And there's one called By Curious George. And there's also one called um, Do You Take It In The Ass? That's one of their ones too. It's just <laughs> hilarious. They sound it's like, all yeah, like the moldy peaches kind of. Do you take it in the ass? Do you take it in the ass? Like that. Anyway, so <laughs> then I discovered years and years later, Peter came to me. Because uh-huh. I've done things with Peter. And they came to me and basically said, we found Tonka in this awful... Yeah. Sanctuary, laughing, they called a sanctuary. And he was like in, in, in Missouri and he was inside in a cage inside. Oh. He didn't get to socialize with other animals. He was like in, in his own poop. And there was all these, and, and basically they, so they, it was a long, long drawn out process with lawyers. I mean, they got, there was 11 chimps in this thing. They got like seven of them out to the, and went to this place in Florida where they have these little, they make these little islands. Yeah. And then they re-socialize them. And then, so they, they get to run free on these mm. islands. Anyway, the last thing that happened was that they did get the remaining ones out, but that they said that Tonka had died. Oh, and God. I know, but actually Peter are not sure that he has died. They think they, they think he, the lady has hidden him somewhere and that he's actually still alive because there was no, kind of evidence of his body or... Oh, um, God. And so they think maybe that he's somewhere in, on his own and this kind of slightly hoardy person has... I don't know. So oh. the last I heard, they were trying to... They were getting the courts to get an, a subpoena to try and find it, if they could investigate to see whether he's... Oh, it's just awful. Though. It's Whatever awful. is I was, the truth. Oh, I think, just thank awful. you. I was curious what had happened um, because I love that part of the... I mean, so it's one of so many great stories that you tell about... Uh, about um, you know, working with some of these actors. I mean, it was an actor that you worked with, uh, I <laughs> yeah. suppose. But but also, I, I I totally understood that feeling of you. You talk about the connection with this animal, and it mm. and it makes sense that you have. There there are other parallels in your book that my father was. I I, I was. I'm fortunate to have a very wonderful father, but um, I I have a similar people pleasing instinct that that mm. you detail uh, in your book. Something that that you've kind of struggled with um yeah yeah and i i always wonder if my connection with animals is is one that is uh it exists because it's there's such a purity to a connection like that you know mm. there is mm. a, a a true unconditionality um absolutely kind of it's so funny actually my um my dogs um i've got these we have these two dogs now but we had two before uh who died um called honey and leon and we wrote uh-huh. my husband is an illustrator and he, um, I'm trying to see if there's a picture of honey. Oh, God, here's uh, a huge picture of honey. It, it, Can you see oh, that yeah. one on the wall there? Oh, yeah, Amazing. huge. Honey, yeah. honey, it was a, what is that, a collie? So it's, it's like a collie shepherd mix. Yeah. And then Leon was a chihuahua. And um, 
Oh, you know, it's nice to see honey because you do talk about honey quite a bit in the book. Oh, I do. In the book, yeah. I can't remember. But anyway, so, we've, so we wrote these two uh, kids' books. Uh, Grant drew them and I wrote them called The Adventures of Honey and Leon. And now oh. we've, we've sold the thing to Cartoon Network to make into... Oh, wow. And it's so funny. We're so sort of... Because I sort of think, you know, writers... You, you you do a thing and then somebody else buys it and you kind of you're involved but in some way you let it go sure um but we are very i can tell overly involved and protective because they're, it's our dogs yeah you know? sure and so you have this very emotional attachment to it so whoever is going to excuse me be the person who is the showrunner we we need to feel like they're oh Taking care of the spirit. Yes, of our, you're the you're the sh- custodians of custodians, the legacy. Of, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's something I've just realised recently. We're in the process of finding someone to to to, to sort of herald the new adventures of our. Well, now would you voice? Because I know you know you also talk mm. about this. How many voices? How many specifically animals you voiced in your career, Alan? Would you <laughs> yeah, voice either honey? Or, I do. Um, well, in, in in I do in the we did a an e audio book of the first one. Uh-huh. Because I do both. I do both Hanya oh. and Leon. What do they sound like? Do you? Because I often wonder this about my pets. Like I, I, I like to try to humanize them and give them. It, that they're usually kind of like slightly, slightly like this. I like to. And that, that, I don't know why dogs sound like that to me. Oh, well, it's, it's of, so funny because we right now we have Jerry and Lala, and Jerry, uh-huh. when we got him, they said, "Oh, he was, he was from a kill shelter in uh, Tennessee." So we made him a rather southern gentleman. He sort of talked oh. like that. And <laughs> hi, everybody. And, you know, and then we discovered the week, a couple of weeks later, we went back to fill in some forms or something. And they were like, oh, no, he wasn't from Tennessee. He was from the Bronx. <laughs> but we'd already given him his he'd already <laughs> given funny. him his name. So sometimes he says things like, well, you know, uh, when I was, uh, I, that used to happen to me a lot in the Bronx. I mean, in Tennessee. Oh, that's funny. That's he slips funny. Up. And then Lala, is, um, she's, a, she's a Coli uh, Spaniel mix. Uh-huh. And she was a street dog in Costa Rica. So she talks like these. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Stop it, daddy. Stop it. And uh-huh. um, so Honey and Leon. Honey was like a collie shepherd. And she was like this actress. We had the, like in the book, she's sort of like this um, drama queen. Uh-huh. So she was kind of this posh English. Oh, dad, stop it. That's awful. Uh-huh. Hello, everybody. <laughs> she talked like that. And then Leon was this little, uh, he talked like... Um, What's that, Mike? He goes, hello, everybody. Hit us all over. Hello, Elma. little Elma Fudd. Yeah, little Elma Fudd. That's yeah. it. Yes. Hello. Hello. Uh, like that. Great. Down. So the pair of them with this kind of, you, uh, down there. Uh, Alan, that, wow. That also really showcases your vocal range, which <laughs> uh, um, I love that uh, in the book, too, where you talk about having to lose that. Uh, the the process through which you lost that and 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 the mm. the, the political necessity to lose that and uh, how how you retained it for some of your performances and I specifically with Hamlet how you you kept your Scottish accent and how you know how it caused kind of a stir it was mentioned in every review of the performance uh, yes. I found that fascinating it is fascinating and I think I was trying to sort of because I I find that American people um, are not so aware of the kind of sort of political and class connotations of uh-huh. between Scotland and England. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I found that when I first moved to New York was that, and why I guess I was so, so loved it here, or one of the reasons, is that many of the things that I was celebrated for when I first came to New York to do cabaret on Broadway was like, you know, my difference, my Scottishness, my voice, mm-hmm. the way I thought about things, my you know, the, my kind of 
my values and even 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 sort of my you know sexuality and stuff like that which were all things that the voice and the accent and the values were all things that when I was living in London because I was Scottish were sort of subliminally um and not so subliminally kind of mm-hmm. you know negatives I was I mm. was reminded of them in mm. a negative way whereas here I was reminded of them in a very positive way it's interesting yeah and it's partly to do with the sort you know it's a sort of a uh, slightly a class thing but anyway so in the book I talk about you know the, this thing of finding your voice both as a yeah. person and as a, an actor it's very important and being what is your authentic self and actually yes. it was very confusing to me growing up because I saw that people who were Scottish when they reached a certain level of success and they moved away they would kind of lose their Scottishness um, right. and, 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 and then when I went to drama school I never, ever, um, hardly ever, anyway, spoke in my own voice, this mm. voice. Um, <clears throat> and so I, it took me a long time to, so because, you know, and then, of course, when I left, when I did just, you know, found that it was great to speak in my own voice and, and especially for things like Shakespeare and stuff like that, how it really helped. Yes, the, the gutturalness of you talk about the gutturalness of the, yeah. the Scottish, right? I bet and, it did. And, but was that a was that a difficult choice? Like for Ham, Hamlet, for example, when you when you did it at Dama Warehouse, was that a difficult choice? Was that something that people tried to dissuade you from doing? People didn't no, because like the director, he was called Stephen Unwin. He, I, he, I'd worked with him before, and uh, so no, it, it was always going to be that, and I. Uh-huh. And I'd said how much I enjoyed doing Shakespeare. And so, no, people didn't try to dissuade me from it. But people, it was it was a huge thing. Like, it's always a bit huge if you're playing Lon- uh, Hamlet in London, you know. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a big, it's sort of the big classical part for a young actor. So there's always a, and you're always compared to other people and it's always right. a big thing. So suddenly I come along, cookie Scottish boy, played it in a very different way. I played it as, as, as you know, someone... I played it like how I thought in a sort of realistic, naturalistic way. A guy whose dad had died. He basically came back to this really dysfunctional family situation. He wanted to be back at college with his friends. His girlfriend dumps him. His friend, he realizes friends of who have come back, they've betrayed him. And also there's this ghost of his dad appears asking him to kill his uncle. You know, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. So, but basically... Drama! Big drama. But basically, yeah. essentially, he was someone who was a student who wanted to be back at college. And so that was how I thought about huh. it. And, and, so I, and, I, and I was very emotional in it. Yeah. Very weepy in it as well. Oh, I cried really? a lot. Yes, lacrimose. I discovered what the word lacrimose meant when it was mentioned so many times in reviews. It means you cry a in, lot. In a pejorative way? Mm, um, slightly. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, it was quite sort of, you know, well, it was, people liked it. But, but, but they all mentioned this thing about my voice, yes. my accent, and about yes. my Scottishness, and about this choice I had uh-huh. to play. And I thought, gosh, it's so interesting, you know, that I always make a joke that, everyone thinks Jesus is American because whenever we see Jesus, he right. has an American accent. Right. And it's like Hamlet, even though he's Danish, right? He's I a know. Danish prince, yet he must sound English. I know. So well, just- the illusion the illusion is to the, I mean, it's an inherently insulting uh, implication that that they are, Scots are unint- unintelligent and yeah. unintelligible. And yeah. um, that must have, Oh, that was a big thing. Yes, there was a there's a there was a thing in a a newspaper that said um, there should be a sign 
outside the Dharma warehouse to say that um, you know the audience should be warned they might not understand all of all of the play because uh, Hamlet has been played with a Scottish accent and it had a, and a cartoon of me uh, with the skull but you know alas poor Yorick and it said alas poor Yorick see you Jimmy and see you Jimmy is a thing that's a sort of a a jokey thing it's a sort of a Glasgow thing you go see you Jimmy like look at you know see you means like hey you over there uh, uh, and, and it, but it's got a kind of a thing connected with violence. It's like ah. it's sort of a thing of uh, a kind of you know yobby, neddy, violent person huh. would say, "See you, Jimmy." So they were they were kind of making it that I was unintelligible, that I was sort of violent, that I was kind of huh. you know, criminal. Yeah. And this was all. And at the time, what's really interesting is at the time I didn't really. I thought I was like, oh god, you know how predictable. But it wasn't something I thought how outrageous, how terrible. Yes. Oh, and 20, you know, like twenty a couple of years ago. So many 20, 25 years later, there was a production um, in Scotland of uh, of Pierre Gint, mm-hmm. and they, with Scottish people, uh, you know, it was, they were it was actually set. It was David Hare, who's not Scottish, but he'd set it in Scotland. And this critic said that when somebody came on who was English, it was, it was so nice. When blah blah came on stage to get away from those uh, grating Scottish accents, and of oh. course, when that happened, everyone was like, "Fuck you, yeah, uh, Mister Little Critic," and it was a big outcry about the racism of that. Yeah, I'm sure, and I and I actually thought, how good that now people are actually speaking out about it, and it's actually, yes. it is actually a thing. And I realised that in, in that with, with Hamlet, it wasn't that I just I didn't I didn't feel wasn't I felt cowed. It was just that it was so normal to me. Yes. That's what people thought and that's what right. people said and that's how I felt. But I was determined to kind of, I liked it and I was determined to find my own voice. And so it's it's interesting. So it's a part of the book, a, a chapter called Authenticity. And I talk about, you know, finding your voice in all sorts of ways. And, and the whole Scottish thing of being, you know, feeling, sometimes you need to go away from where you're from to understand mm. who you are and what parts of you are formed by where you're from. And I think that's yes. definitely true of me. And, and, I, and I'm so glad you were able to have that moment with, you talk about Billy Connolly and oh. that he was one of the few who held on to, who retained his yeah. Scottishism and uh, that you yeah. were able to have that moment. It's a really beautiful story um, that I won't, I mean, people just should read the book and we'll talk, <laughs> we'll, we'll just continue to, to talk about how great the book is. But um, I love that part of it. And I also, it's, it's funny, Alan, because like, to me, I, it's easy for me to divorce myself from any of the political implications of the accent and and Scottish versus versus um, the rest of the United Kingdom. But but I I just think it's a it's a wonderful accent to hear. I, I just love the yeah. sounds of it, the tones. And um, I I, di- I dated somebody from Scotland for a couple of years, and I used to love. And all her friends had these great thick. Uh, and they also had these great, uh, you mentioned one about Jimmy that has implications to, to, to violence. So it's not as, in that context, it's not, it's not necessarily a good thing. But she had some great ones, I remember. Um, oh. When they get embarrassed, they, she, she would say, oh, that's, that's quite a beamer. That's a beamer. <laughs> I've got a beamer. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know that one? <laughs> uh, totally. A beamer means you get your blushing. Yes, I'm pure, yes. I'm pure beaming. Yeah. Pure beamer. But it was great because you, you could say it in front of people who were who were the source of the embarrassment, who were making you, who were just like, yeah. you know, they were, she was in a band. So sometimes people would come up and be and say, uh, oh, and just embarrass them, you know. And so she would, she would say, oh, that's a real beamer. So you could actually say it in front I of the I love that. Yes. I love, it's such great, especially from the West Coast of Scotland, it's such great, great sayings. I love like, um, what are some of my favorites? Like, uh, 
Oh, Bofin is really good. Do you remember? Oh, I don't know that one. Bofin means like when something's disgusting, it's oh, Bofin. And I still say things like, oh, you know, what? Oh, like my assistant, Matt, he, there's a thing where I say, oh, that, what a palaver. Something oh, yes, palaver, she'd say. Palaver's yeah. good. And he always says palova, uh, no, pavlova. <laughs> he gets it like, you know, like the Dwali dancer. And, uh, and uh, scunnard is a really good one. Scunner. I'm fair scunnard. It's like you're just like frustrated. G- Some uh, really. G- Scanner, oh, that's a scanner. Egypt, Glaket. Glaket, You know, when I did the Smurfs, I was uh, the Scottish uh, gutsy Smurf in the Smurfs, right? Gutsy Smurf. And when I first uh, was doing it, they said, you know, we'd love to, um, you know, for you to, we'd love gutsy to be authentic and like maybe for some for some Scottish words you'd like to. Ah. So I, um, what was it? I, I, I brought back to the lexicon, was it Scunnard? No, I don't think. I can't remember what it was now. Hang on. There was a there was a there was a, there was a word that gutsy Smurf kept saying. Gutsy Smurf. I, I, this is. I'm going to Google gutsy Smurf. Oh, what did I say? I didn't know there was a gutsy Smurf. Gutsy Smurf. I was. That was me. Gutsy Smurf uh, toy. In top international. Yes, I'm a shampoo gutsy. as well. That's my. You know. This, you know. You do these things. <laughs> yes. I think it was Glake. Maybe it was Glakeit. Glakeit. Uh, maybe it was Glakeit that I kind of he kept saying. See. <laughs> Um, but it was such fun to be able to kind of say words, and actually, a lot of those Scottish words they don't people don't really know what they mean when they say them. But actually, they're sort of they're, they're onomatopoeic; they really sound like what they're supposed to be, you know. And I think that's yes. I love that about it, and I love yes. I love like the sayings, things like "cheapest chips" is a really great Ch- yes, thing cheapest as well. chips, <laughs> cheapest chips. I love them. I yeah. to me, see, it's such a fun accent to hear it's so I, I, that was a bit of a surprise that that it had those kind of uh implications for for other but that, that there was anything but of course you know i i wasn't considering the history of um yeah of well it's just people. a sort of thing like you know that that's it's a sort of uh it's fascinating that you know and of course it's, you get in such trouble for saying things but there's there's some i i felt not so subliminal racism uh against scottish people it's against irish people it's against, you know there used to be signs yeah. Uh, Irish people have it really bad in London, but it used to be saying no, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish outside pubs in London. Relatively in the last 30, 40 years. Oh, that was my Yeah. God. And so, and I definitely felt, and it was interesting when I lived in London, when I first moved there, I, I, I realised, you know, I used to have a sort of a posse of Scottish people, Scottish actors. We always used to sort of, you know, meet and uh, huddle together. And I think it was actually, it was, it was a necessary thing to do because you did feel a little... Like outsiders, yeah, and in the way sure. that I don't, I don't sort of do that in in New York. I've never done that, so has I think that, it's interesting. So, sorry, Alan, has that made you feel closer to people who um, other marginalized groups who have struggled? Because you you've been so on the forefront. Uh, your activism ha- has uh, reached many different yeah. groups. Yeah. I mean, I I do understand what it is like to be derided for for who you are. Yeah, yeah, in various yeah. ways, you know, or to have or to and or to not be equal. I do, and I mean, and obviously not in the way that in, that um, some sections of our society do, like people of colour, of course. But I understand when people make decisions about you, about your mm-hmm. education, about your intelligence, about your worth, mm-hmm. purely because of where you're from and how you sound and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah. that's been something that was I grew up with, and I've it's a sort of it's ingrained in my culture, and I think actually. Scotland is in a very different place nowadays because it actually is much more 
uh, it's not quite independent yet, but it's much more confident of, in itself. And I think that I've, I've grown up in a time when my country has actually changed quite radically in terms yeah. of how it views itself and how it, you know, um, you know that way when, you know when you go to different cities in the world and some cities are kind of needy, they need to know that you like them. The people there uh-huh. keep asking you if you're having a good time. And if you, <laughs> right. you know, there's some cities like that. And there's other cities that don't give a fuck what you think of yeah. them. They actually hope you have a good time. They're not mean, but you can tell that their value, their self-value does not depend upon your value yes, validation. Yes, that's true. Austin used to be like that, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas, I, I, you know, and I, I, I go to Vancouver, I've made a lot of films and things in Vancouver, and I find yeah. that in Vancouver, people are very, you know, do you like Vancouver? You know, they're very... <laughs> They want your approbation. Yes, um, that's true. So interesting. And you think, my it, God, it, this is a fantastic place. Shut up. It, it is. Why? And why are you doubting it? Why are you so insecure as a, as a city? Are you having trouble sleeping? I was. Not anymore, right? Because of what? Plus CBD. I've been using these Plus CBD sleep gummies daily and I've been getting such great rest and I've been waking up feeling focused and refreshed. Yeah, me too. There's no feeling of like grogginess or like haziness the next morning, which, you know, I've taken over the counter stuff and occasionally I'll, if I really need to sleep, you know, if I'm jet lagged or whatever, I'll take something more, more heavy duty. But, um, these, I haven't needed anything else. These are all natural, formulated by a team of medical experts and doctors. The Plus CBD sleep gummies taste great. They really do. Watermelon, peach, I've had, uh, and are made with award-winning CBD combined with melatonin, magnolia bark, and lemon balm. Calm gummies are nice during the day. If you're feeling a little overwhelmed, uh, if you want to calm down a little bit, the calm gummies are great. Sleep gummies are great at night. To if take. you just need a little positive push during the day. And if you want a fun combination, the Reserve Collection oh, gummies, which have 25 milligrams of CBD and 2.5 milligrams of THC. Oh, that's what we had last night. Oh, yeah. Those are the best. They really do the, the and, trick. And it's it's a small, for me at least, it's a it's a low enough amount of THC that, yes. I'm, that I feel comfortable and fun and like upbeat and happy mm-hmm. without getting too weird no yeah, yeah it's it's just enough it's to just like, enough it's just the little, right amount yes a little a little something something sleep better tonight by visiting pluscbdoil.com and enter promo code long for 40 percent off your order that's code long at pluscbdoil.com for 40 percent off Hey, everyone. I just wanted to pop in and uh, say hello from this beautiful resort right on the beach. (laughs) I'm actually here in the recording studio. Christian's Christian's studio. Busted. I feel like I kind of am. I'm getting a little taste of the tropics because I've been enjoying Tropical Smoothie Cafe's new chia oatmeal pudding bowl. Ooh, what's that one like? Well, I love chia seeds. I know they're really good for digestion. I think there's protein in there. So I, I want to find ways to, to eat more of them. Um, and, but this one also combines coconut milk, which I love, nice, creamy, healthy without the uh, the dairy, and steel-cut oats, which um, also healthy, topped with um, chobani. You get some more protein with the Greek yogurt, some fresh blueberries, sliced banana, granola, more chia seeds and and honey. Ooh, so I, I a little try, bit of sweet. It's good. I, I'd like to try that one. I, I've had the acai bowl, which is very delicious. It's Ooh. it's acai base. I see. Um, fresh strawberries, blueberries, sliced banana, some coconut, granola, Ooh. chia seeds. So get on Tropic Time now as you savor a new Tropic Bowl from your local Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Hello, hello again. Shaboom and we'll meet again. 
you have been all over. I mean, the truth is, like, and you talk uh, about, you know, about your travels in the book. And, and um, I, I'm curious, having having gleaned some of that, uh, where you are now. I mean, wh- where your heart lies. Like, where do you feel most at home? I feel in, in the way that I compartmentalize my life in, you know, I'm very, f- I'm, I have a lot of different things going on. And I, but I'm very focused in what I'm doing and I'm equally as focused in having fun and letting go as I am with doing this today or, you know, what yes. I'm going to do next. And I'm very, I just. I'm I love how to- you talk about that. How, you, how you're, there, there's something you're like responsible in your abandon. You, yes. Yes. I love how you talk about that. I love because I, you've always, whenever I've been around you, you've, you've just been such a light, such a buoyant spirit. Um, oh, any, that's nice. Uh, 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 truly, always, and n- never from, uh, always from a good place. You know, some people you find they're like that because it's driven by this compulsion to be liked or driven yeah. by drugs or whatever it is, or yeah. there's like, you know, a need to keep the night going. But you've always had this real light. And to, to, to the point where I was really like stunned by some of the tragic elements of your upbringing and, and your relationship with your father. And mm. I'm, I'm, you say in your book after the confrontation with your father that you never had fear after that. You never, yeah, I think, which I is mean, amazing I think, to me. Uh, well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I genuinely feel that the worst things that could happen to me have already happened. Yeah. And I mean, um, I, I suppose if I got my head chopped off and tortured, that would be terrible. But do you know what I mean? In terms of like what is like. Well, if you get your head chopped off, then tortured, it wouldn't, that wouldn't so matter. Bad. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I feel in a funny sort of way and, you know, facing your, like when I went to, my brother and I went to confront my father mm-hmm. about the fact, about the, he was, was very, you know, I think my father was, and I write that in my first memoir, I talk about this a lot. It's mm-hmm. not my father's one. But he was, I think, mentally ill and was very violent and very cruel and very, you know, abusive, very mm-hmm. abusive. And so eventually we went and confronted. I, the start of this book, I talk about how suddenly all those memories when I was about, when I was trying to be a father myself, mm-hmm. all kind of came back to me. I'd suppressed all these memories. And I think actually it's, a, you know, an amazing thing that your brain yeah. does that because you're too young to actually process the magnitude and the horror of what is happening to you. Yeah. So you just put it away and you get on with your life. And I didn't, I seriously did not remember. I mean, I didn't, I knew he was, had hit me and I knew he was, you know, I don't, but the actual specificity of it and the amount of it. And I just, it, and it all came flooding back when I was about How did it, Alan? How, how did that come back? I mean, was it well, through... Uh, yes, uh, as well. I mean, I so what happened was I was kind of started to get very. I was trying to be a father. Yeah. I was married. I was, we were trying to have kids, and I started to feel really weird. I started to feel, you know, I was thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, what kind of father am I going to be? And uh, yeah. you know, you, as you as you do when you start to yeah. sort of actually think, I'm going to bring another human into this world. Mm-hmm. And I it didn't. It wasn't. I didn't immediately have flashbacks. Then it took a long time. I started to get depressed. I started to be very very incapable of doing very basic things. I couldn't engage mm. with other people. I got really skinny. I didn't, I was stopped eating. I, it was just, I was in this very, very dark place, but it was, I didn't know why. Mm. And then I then realized I had to sort of, I gave myself, I kind of did know why I knew it was stuff to do with my dad, but I didn't, 
anyway, so I kind of went away and kind of took some time off and went away. I had the luxury to do that, actually. It was a luxury to mm-hmm. sort of not, not work. Go, I rented this little flat. I went and lived there for a few months. And it all just, it was like a, it was like a horror film. Wow. Uh, of, you know, going into the scary forest and waiting yeah. for the, the showdown with the, the demon. Wow. And it all just came flooding back. And I was, I was in therapy as well, of course, at the time. And, and uh, that... And then, of course, it's so shocking when it happens because you can't actually believe it really happened to you. Right. Okay. It, it, it's like a, it's like a, suddenly this whole new part of you that you didn't know. And then also then you're ashamed of it as well. You know, you're, yeah. you realize that you and also, you know, I, I protected my father as, as, uh. as people who are abused do. A good abusers rely on the abusee being so ashamed, uh, ashamed of what's going on that they will cover it up and will protect the person who's doing the terrible stuff. It's such a And you described cycle. him as being charming, a charming man. Yeah, he was charming. He was wow. very charming, very charismatic, very sexy. You know, he was, uh, yeah. And he was, but that, and you know, and, and I, uh, he, you know, I, 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 I kind of, after my last, because the last thing, the, the, the first memoir I wrote was prompted by the fact that after not, after my brother and I confronted him and he, we didn't see him for nearly 20 years, he came back into my life via my brother. Actually, he contacted my brother and to tell oh. me that I was not his biological son. So the right. so the book is called "Not My Father's Son." And at the same time as that, I was doing this uh, that BBC show, uh, "Who Do You Think You Are?" And I found oh. out that my I, I, and there's, so there's two stories going at once. I found out oh. that my grandfather, my mum's dad, died in Malaysia playing Russian roulette. None of oh us knew my- this. God. Yes. So I have mental illness on both sides of my family, which is just fantastic to look forward to. Um, So did your mom, your mom must have known that. No, 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 no. None of us knew. No. And I actually, I remember thinking, oh, this is great. My mom never knew her dad. He, she, she, he died when she was like 13 or something. This would be a lovely thing to sort of find, find out, find out what what happened to him. You know, just find out the real story. And uh, be a nice, my gift to my mom that I can, you know, and I just remember thinking, holy shit, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me about being famous. No. I had to call up my mom. Oh, no. And tell her. And, um, oh, no. Oh, it's awful. How do you do that? (laughs) Well, is is there any lightness? Is there any humor in it? Is it it just, or is Um, it totally heavy? Well, that was, I mean, the thing about it, I was speaking to her as it was all going along, because it's kind of unveil it to you, like chronologically, like it is in uh-huh. the show, like when you're, so I knew, I mean, knew he died in Malaysia. I mean, knew he died in some, it was, it was always like it was an, uh, it was an accidental, uh, you know, it's in a shoot, I thought it was in a shooting range and someone accidentally shot him. My mum then said, oh no, it was, he was cleaning his gun and the gun went off and I was like, oh. oh so it was all this thing. I never, and then I, I thought he'd, because he was, in Malaysia, after the Second World War, they, they hired all these British military people to kind of be guards for all these um, rubber plantations because of the communist insurgents. Huh. And so they were kind of, you know, policing these places of commerce, I suppose. Anyway, he that's what he was doing. So there was all these people. It was the dangerous thing. And lots of people were being killed. And and I saw his post-mortem and everything. It was really gross. And there was, a oh. you know, a, a, a bullet wound in the back of his head. And I thought, oh, well, he was, he was, I'd heard about these killings that I thought he was killed by these communist insurgents. And then, so I told her that and then, you know, and, and then, um, and I'd realized that he was obviously 
had PTSD and was could not function outside of the army yeah. uh, because he was injured in Burma. And oh, it was so it's nuts. Like a deer hunter. It was yeah. like a deer hunter. Yeah. And then, of course, so I'm finding all that out. And oh god, other stuff. I find out there's a park and a street named after him in this little village in Malaysia that none of us knew about either. So I, 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 what was lovely was about two years later, I took my mum and my brother oh. there, and we and we met these two, two old men who knew him when he was a little boy and everything. It was really oh, incredible. That's wild. It was. It was absolutely one of the most incredible sort of things to be able to do. I mean, that was the gift for my mum to be able to see that and see these people yeah. who'd known him. She didn't really know him, and they loved him so much. They 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 named this thing after him. But, oh wow! Yeah. So, but so at the same, this that was all going on at the same time. My father was saying I wasn't his biological son, and I had to take a DNA test, and I was his son. <laughs> uh, anyway, so fortunately, was, uh, yeah. Well, I, of course, what he told me he wasn't, and it was so traumatic. But I was like, well, I'm I'm really glad I'm not. I'm happy. Yeah. And my brother yeah. was saying, you're lucky that you're not. You know, and then yeah, of course he it probably. Up again, yeah. by, and then the DNA test proved that I was. Was so, he equally tough on your your brother? Yes, uh, but then what happened was my brother left home. My brother's older than me, so when he oh. left home, I was al- I was alone, and so oh. that was that was the worst. Those years were the worst because I was just it was just me, and and uh, you know he. It reminds me a little bit of Charlie Chaplin's upbringing. That Charlie Chaplin had a very tough uh, father too, and an older brother who left early, Stanley yeah. and. Um, and you have a similar quality. I mean, you have his kind of magical p- puckishness. Um, so nice, and, thank you. And you know, it's so weird. I was going to be playing Charlie. There was a, there was a mini series. Oh. I was going to play Charlie Chaplin, I, like towards, and of course, his sort of older, drunken years, uh, when he <laughs> just before he did, uh, you know, he was like on the skids and hadn't made a movie oh, yeah. for ten years, hadn't made a talkie, and was kind of, you know, really like a sort of faded star. And then he did, married Eugene O'Neill's daughter. Yes. Yes. And he did. And then he and then he did um, the Great Dictator. He bounced yes. back with the Great Dictator. His first talkie. Yes. You know the the, the uh, Americans uh, didn't want him to do it. The American government didn't want him to do it. And then he kind of triumphed again. So the, I was going to play him in this ah. thing, and it just never quite came off, as these things sometimes don't. So I studied quite a lot about him. So yeah, thank I you love- for saying that I have that quality. Oh yeah. I think he's uh, I incredible. Love- Incredible. It's been incredible. Yeah. Do you know well, what? Well, I went on a plane to Turkey a few years yeah. ago and there was on the on the Turkish Airlines and on the plane they had these Charlie Chaplin a Charlie Chaplin channel. Like huh. just playing Charlie Chaplin all the time. And oh, I, oh. Cool. and then we got to Bud- uh, Bucharest and um we're going around and there's all these pictures of Charlie Chaplin, everyone's Charlie Chaplin Cafe. And no it was kidding. sort of like in the way that we have images of Che Guevara or something, or, yeah. you know, it was like, and, and, and our guide guy said that he, rep, to people in Turkey, represents like the little man fighting the corporate machine. Oh, wow. So he's got wow. this symbo- symbolic sort of political uh, nature, like in the yes. way Che has to us, a rebel, you know, that's well, it what Charlie was. Chaplin means. Oh, certainly in like modern times, or I mean, the the way what he talked, the class struggle that he talked about, yeah. that must have really resonated. With yeah. Him. So it's oh, funny um, that he's the, in in Turkey. That's yes, what they no think kidding. Of oh, interesting. Well, and, and Alan, you must have. I mean, just in terms of your father, that how much of that did you channel when you were playing Hamlet? I mean, that's probably what. Well, that was also was part, that just an obvious was, direct. No, that was also around about that time was when I was having trying to be a father and all that. So it was all happening yeah. at once. So I, oh and of course Hamlet, God. yeah. So Hamlet is someone who, uh, you know, is being, 
you know, has a, I, I sort of thought didn't have a great relationship with his dad. And then he's, now his dad's dead and now his dad's come back and, you know, and his, uh, it, it was, oh, it was a lot. And also weirdly, in, when I played Hamlet, the woman who played Ophelia was my wife. Yes. So there was that, there was a lot of stuff going on in that play that was kind of connected to all the stuff that I was going, starting to go through my real life. It was a hot mess. The whole thing was like the <laughs> perfect storm. Oh. So in in that way, well, because you commit, you're such a committed performer. In in what way? How different then was it to to go to play cabaret to do cabaret to play the MC? How liberating was that? Did you find that? And and, and did that coincide with the liberation of your own well, sexuality in your own life? Oh well, when I did it in New York, so I did it immediately after Hamlet in London. Like I was yeah. rehearsing cabaret in the same theater as I was performing Hamlet in at night. God, it was just ridiculous. And so I was kind of more, you know, playing that character. I was sort of basing it on my, you know, trying to read and research, but also unlike sort of uh, in terms of the sexuality of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd feel I've always been bisexual, but I, uh, by the time I came to do it in 1998, I was actually much more, um, What's the word? You know, I was living that life in a way. I was, I was being uh, sexually more active and was more comfortable with my sexuality yeah, yeah. in that way. Comfortable. And, uh, and, and was I, your reticence to be open about it earlier? How much uh, did that have to do with your parent, your father? Not so much to do with my father, really, but more to do with that I was in, when I was married, I was obviously in a straight relationship, that marriage. Yeah. Uh, now I'm not in a, I'm in a marriage, but it's not straight. Uh, but I was also, but I was also like, you know, I was, I'd had a boyfriend before, I got with the woman who became my wife. So it wasn't- And I she was, was aware of all that. She yeah. was aware of your- Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it wasn't, that wasn't, I was sort of outish in that way that, uh, but I didn't feel appropriate to talk about it when I was married. Right. And, and I guess it's, a, you know, a thing changes after you get well known when you, people want to know more about you. And also you have a sort of duty, I think, to sort of, I mean, I felt I had a duty to sort of be, especially with the whole thing of sexuality when sexuality was people were, you know, literally when I first came to America, people were being killed for being yeah. gay. Uh, like, like, um, Matthew Shepard, that was 1998. Yeah. That's year I came yeah. to America. And, um, so I, you know, that I felt very like, Oh gosh, I, I didn't, I've got to be, people were asking. And so I talked about it more kind of more publicly, but I was always kind of something that I were people knew about who knew me. So it wasn't, and then, you know, it's funny that when I got divorced, <laughs> I don't think I put this in the book, but my wife said said to me, oh, promise me the next relationship you have will be with a man. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to promise that. She really wanted me, because I think it would make it easier. It would make it Yes, easier. in a way, I kind of get it. It would the, make- Yeah, the narrative I, of like, I, you know, oh, he was gay. Well, he wanted to be, yes. I, so, I, I couldn't provide that. Yeah, and I was like, no, I'm not going to promise. I'm not going to be, you can't, you can't control me. <laughs> You can't dictate. Well, and as it turns out, it wasn't. And as it I wasn't. Recall. No, it was with another yeah. woman. I, for so yeah, so that kind of <laughs> confused everybody, did, did, myself did, included, did, did, in a way, actually. Yeah. Well, was that ever a concern? I mean, that that was another really like fearless seeming thing about you of, of the many fearless uh, things you detail in, in the book. That to me, stri- that strikes me as very brave to um, not consider. Uh, what people might think, what what let's say casting directors or producers or people mm. who make those decisions might think. No, I didn't really care. You know, sometimes I think if you can play someone convincingly, 
uh, you know, there's a whole lot of hoo-ha of late about whether straight actors should play gay characters. Uh-huh. And I just think straight actors shouldn't play gay characters if they play them badly right. or unconvincingly. And yeah. same with the other way around. And I, and Why are I, you looking at me, Alan? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, I've played lots of straight people, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't, so I don't, uh, I've played lots of gay people as well, but, you know, I don't, and I, I think I shouldn't play, if I'm not just convincing as a straight man and a blah, blah, yeah. then I shouldn't play that. In oh, the, right. in the Obviously, outside of that, how you live your life, what you do, how you express yourself, that's your own thing. But your job is to be convincing at something, to be convincing as, as being gay, to be convincing as being Australian, you know, whatever. I from another, agree. From another era. And so I think that I always, I didn't actually, Justin, make that connection really. And also, yeah. you know, when I first came to America, pretty soon after I came to America and started working here, cabaret was such a big thing. And that was, I was just perceived as this sort of pansexual little nymph. So right. I, I sort right. of thought that whatever people, I, you know, I thought I've assumed, and I've always been off, it's, offered lots of different things. And It's true. It's like you've, you kind of carved out your own niche. Yeah, uh, so just, being like just of, of a, an eclectic, I mean, that's what yes. I love. I think eclecticism breeds eclecticism. And yes. so I love just the kind of crazy range of, and also now I'm really fascinated by, I'm moving, because I'm nearly 60. I'm 50, I think I'm 50, I'm going to be 57 in a few months. And uh, so, you know, it's my next big birthday is 60. And that to yeah. me is hilarious because I <laughs> obviously I can play, like there's a film I'm about to do. And the, the you know, when you get the first one, you get the script and you look at the description of the person. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I'm always fascinated by that. It's like, how flattering is it? Or yes, insulting? yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And this one said, uh, blah, blah, early 60s, a kind man <laughs> in his early 60s with thinning hair. I was like, well, I can do kind. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part I'll dwell on. <laughs> yes. Well, I um, love what you say. It reminds me of what you said to Stanley Kubrick, which is also a great part of the book, is um, when you did that role, it's yes. such an incredible role in Eyes, in Eyes Wide Shut, where uh, you said, well, Stan, well, he, was, he was pissed that you weren't... Oh, well, you can tell the story. To be, yes. I'd auditioned uh, lots of times for this little part, uh, all over the world, actually, in various places. And, and it was always, you know, on tape and with a, or with a producer, never Stanley. I never met Stanley. Right. And so I finally get the part and I come onto the set and so it's me, Tom Cruise and, and Stanley Kubrick. And I just bound on and I'm like, hello, Stanley, I'm Alan. And he looks at me and goes, you're not American. And I was like, I know. And uh, uh, I'm Scottish. And, uh, and he goes, and he went, you're American on the tape. On the tapes, and I and I, I, I like I say this in the book. Inside my head, I was like, "Fuck you, old man!" I have yes. auditioned for this fucking pishy little part like six times. I've waited like six months to do this. I put everything off just to do your stupid little scene. Yeah, Fuck and what you. comes out? And what I said was, "He went, yeah, you're you're American on the tapes." And I went, "Yeah, that's because I'm an actor, Stanley." And he and uh, and, and Tom Cruise kind of went coughed and sort of a bit like ooh, you know, yeah. Uh, and uh, and then he and Stanley and he sort of looked at me and kind of his eyes smiled, twinkled, and he just went, "Let's rehearse." And um, um, and I we got on like a house on fire after that because I yeah, I stood I, up to him, I totally. Yeah, yes. and he was being a dick. He was like, "How ridiculous to say to someone yeah. you're 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 the wrong nationality." But I. I love those stories. I've heard versions of that story before, Alan, and, I, and, and you're so, it's such a funny part, and you detail it so eloquently, like how you went on to become, then have a really good relationship with him. But I, I've heard versions of that story where you stand up to a bully and they respect you. And it's, yeah. 
And it's what you did, a version of what you did with your father, I suppose. And not that he, he, he now respects you, but there's, no. there's a... But event, I mean, actually, I think that was, you know, going and confronting my dad about the abuse with my brother yeah. made me, like, well, that's what I was saying, you know, made me very fearless. And, I, and yes, also, yes. I'd, what's the, you know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to say to people, like, what was going to happen? Stanley was going to fire me? What's, you know, I mean, and also I was like, you know, I'm, I'm here. I deserve to be here. Yeah. And you're, you're you know, your worth. A, you're being you know a bit of worth. a dick right now, Stanley, you know, like saying I'm not, like, you know, I'm the wrong aren't you happy that you didn't know I was Scottish that's the whole point I was acting as a thing and being a different well, person it's, it's so, brave it, it's inspiring yeah. to read about and but also how you stood up to Brian Singer how you oh, stood yeah. up to Gore Vidal the, the Brian Singer thing is hilarious too because you guys had that intervention for him yes. when you were all dressed I just all imagined dressed as X-Men it's so hilarious <laughs> the, more, the more I think about it the more it makes me laugh and just my favourite part is so we're all in my trailer all dressed as X-Men and and it's a long story, but unexpectedly sort of had this intervention, all the well, X-Men. Basically, he had been really abused. I mean, he had been taking forever, not coming to set and having a, a clear substance abuse problem and yes. just making it a very, very difficult environment for everybody yes. to, to work in. And we wanted to sort of say something and we were going to write, we wanted to do a, like a joint statement to the studio to say, you know, something needs to be done. He needs some help or someone needs to come and help and work and anyway we were working we decided to do that and then all of a sudden Brian came into the room and so we had to actually do the the thing and so Halle and I both said our piece uh, and stuff about Halle you know how we were worried about Halle Berry how we were worried about him and everything and then we finished our thing and and he was just waiting and he was kind of you know grinding his teeth and everything and, and all we hear is and Alan and Halle speak for all of us, Brian. And that was Patrick Stewart saying, <laughs> suddenly, from a chair yeah, in my you say, you say Patrick Stewart for the win. Yes, Patrick Stewart for the win. It's so good. So good. Um, speak for all of all us. All of us, Brian. So, uh, well, you can't argue with Patrick Stewart. No. You know, he's the he's I mean, the how man. do you... I, I want Patrick Stewart at every intervention. <laughs> I mean, they can't fail. <laughs> I know. I love Patrick Stewart. He's so hilarious. I haven't seen him for a while, but I just always have such a laugh with him. Oh, Alan, just have you dark. seen the outtakes of Patrick Stewart on extras when? Um, yes, yes. Oh God in heaven! <laughs> so funny. God. Yeah, he's yeah. got such a. He's, I love how game he is. I think I really yes. love when I see people like that who, you know, when I was growing up, he and Ian McKellen and those sorts of people it, were, were had this big classical careers. And then later in their lives, they kind of move into other areas and then they kind of lighten up in a way that I just yeah. think is so exciting and liberating to see. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. For all the shorties that want voluminous, fanned-out lashes, mm -hmm. this ad is for you. The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara creates corner-to-corner -corner panoramic lash volume. Their tapered brush catches every single lash, even those pesky corner lashes. You know who you are, corner lashes. With the Panorama Mascara, you'll easily achieve that effortless, false lashes look. It's one of Christian's favorite looks. Plus, it lasts up to 24 hours and is clump and flake resistant. And just when you thought it couldn't get better, it does. The Panorama Mascara is a lot more affordable than other Lux mascaras. And honestly, it probably does a better job. 
It's affordable, but it's deceptive because it comes in a premium gold luxe packaging. So if you want a mascara that can do it all, volumize, lengthen, and stay put all day, you can buy the Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, hello again. Shaboom and up we'll meet again. Well, you got to interact with so many of them. You talk about all those those legends who would come to see you in um, when you were being so celebrated in, in Cabaret. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I saw you do, I think, the second one, the second or third, uh, when you came back. And I remember thinking, um, I, I remember getting a little nervous that you'd pick me from the crowd. Oh, yes. Uh, when yeah. you pick somebody to dance with, because I'd be like, I, I remember thinking, well, I'd be powerless to, to not go. Yes. You had such command. Yes. It is. It was what? a really good. There was a part. So in the entract of of Cabaret, there's a, a bit. And actually, I did I, on my podcast, uh, Alan Cumming Shelves. I had Sam on, Sam Mendes on recently, and he was talking about the fact that he'd said to me, "Well, wouldn't it be funny if when the orchestra's playing in the in the entract, you come out and you take a man up to dance and a woman up to dance and just have a little chat with them to get everyone back into the vibe of you know the the Cabaret?" I was like, "Okay." And then in the first performance, he went, "Oh, crikey, you know, Alan, we never we never really talks about what we're going to do." What we're going to say uh-huh. and what that, how that, and he came through to the dressing room and went, Alan, we never talked about it. I went, oh, I'll be fine. I've got it. And so I just, and that, I went on and I just did it, you know, and I, and wow. I had timed it and I, it became a thing I did every night. Every time I did it, I would get a woman up to dance and I'd get a man up to dance. And it would all, and it's an actual, a very interesting thing that you have to be, to, you have to sort of be very in control. You have uh-huh. to slightly humiliate someone without it being too much, but you know you have to, to kind right. of slightly humiliate them, but not, but also so that they like it too. Yes, um, it's not you, you can't you're not mean at all, but you're going to say things. You have to let them know it's you're 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 in control. They're going to be safe, <laughs> but they're going to be you know ribbed and the piss is going to be taken right. out of them a little bit. It's a very and it was a fascinating balance. And so I actually write about it in the book when it didn't work so well. Yes. As if I chose a famous person, because then, you know, the balance is, and also it's weird, like, you know, like it was, when I did it the last time, I remember taking someone up and I was going, and what's your name? And they were like, oh, I love you in The Good Wife. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm like, God. oh The Good Wife? What is this? this <laughs> what is, do you say to that? I, I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, a joke it, about it. It's, it's 1929. What, what is The uh-huh. Good Wife? And things like that, you know, it's it, 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 it sort of, well, that's just dopey people. But well, when it, I took up Mikhail Boryshnikov one time and that, it's, yeah. it was just incredible. I mean, it was, it's, it was like, I still think about it. Like it felt, I really felt like my feet didn't touch the ground. I mean, that's such a cliche thing oh to say, but I God. felt like, oh, and it was, it was, it was in like his hand in the small of my back. He led, like I would always have of that be a joke. I would say I lead and he was like, oh no. And uh, <laughs> I, I love that. Did you actually say that? Yes. Like I would you always say to, to men, lead? I attempted to lead. <laughs> and I would, and I would, uh, and he was like, "Oh no!" And he did, you know. Oh my! God. And then he, because uh, I was, and I was, I was, I was trying to say jokes like, "Oh, you should do this for a living. You're very good at it, all this stuff." Uh-huh. But it was, I just the thing. I remember it being almost like, um, 
like I was in a coma or something for a few seconds where I actually yeah, was like downstage. a fugue state. Yes, I was downstage right. The next thing, I was upstage left, and it, and I I didn't I didn't know how I got there. You know, it's oh like a sober God. blackout. <laughs> and here you are. I mean, you're the epitome of confidence, and you have such command. I, I saw you do the role. It's it's like it, you have such authority and command, and it, that's it's interesting to lose that power. Then it must have been yes. really weird. It was, and it was, I mean, it was hilarious. And of course, everyone's just cheering. It, didn't, it doesn't last very long, that part of the show. Yeah. But I was, I just thought, oh, it doesn't work when it's a famous person. And also someone who's obviously a genius dancer. And then the other time I talk about in the book oh, is when Cronkite. I took that Walter Cronkite. And I, yes. <laughs> and that's, yeah, it's I just, amazing. I didn't, I couldn't get a man to come up. This guy I was working on to come up. He wouldn't come. And I thought, oh, shit. So I, I just saw this, he had his back to me as I was walking back towards the stage. And I went, come on, granddad, pulled him up. And then, uh, and then everyone started to cheer. The audience went nuts. And I thought, I remember thinking, oh, Americans are so nice to their elderly. They're so loving. Uh-huh. And, 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 and I said, what's your name? He went, Cronkite. And I was like, oh, fuck, Walter Cronkite. Oh, and oh it was God. just so nice. He was very big, he was tall and very imposing. And he was so lovely. But I was just kind of like, oh, shit. What a Cronkite. God. Yeah. I can't believe he did it. I can't believe he went up and was game. Yes, I know. I, I mean, I kind of blindsided him. I kind of came from behind him and just took his hand. He didn't really have a choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, and then he, uh, you know, I I forgot actually until I was researching this book that at the Kennedy Center Honors a few months later, he actually introduced me uh, at the thing. And then I, and I, and I saw him afterwards. I was yeah. really nervous because I hadn't seen him since I pulled him up to dance. And he came over to me. And I, well, I ran into this room because I was gagging for a drink. It was after the show. And uh, the, I went to the bar and he was the only person at the bar. And, I, and he turned and walked towards me. And I, he looked really angry. And I thought he was going to give me, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. Because, you yeah. know, I, I, it was just sort of one of those things I didn't really, so many things were happening to me at the time I didn't really understand. Yeah. And uh, he came over and I thought, oh, gosh. You know, and he went, may I have the pleasure of this dance, young man? Ah. Like that. I know. <laughs> That's so like great. The sweetest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, Alan, I'm so sorry. I, I'm seeing that you might have to go in like five to 10 minutes. Oh, do I? Oh, yes. Have I got something else? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. God, so many things. You're a foreskin advocate. I want to talk about that. We can't. <laughs> yes. Um, so many things. Uh, you're, you're right. I love what you say about fooling around. Fooling around. Uh. How you have such an interesting take on the term fooling around and then making love you call the pale, sickly older brother of fooling around. Would you just qu- d- describe uh, that I, that phrase well, and, and what it feels like? Fooling around is what American people say for any sexual contact you have up until <laughs> penetration of the vagina right. or the anus. But I actually think they don't mean the anus. It's mostly a straight thing. No, no, yeah. gay people say fooling around too, but they mean up to, yeah, up to putting your penis inside the downstairs bit of someone. But it's also such a cutesy sounding It's a way. very infantilizing thing. It's childlike. Yes, yes. It's like fooling around. And it's all, and it's about, so, and it means that it doesn't really matter. It hasn't really happened because it was just right. fooling around. You know, so we're just right. fooling around. Even Child's though play. you could ejaculate all over someone. You could both ejaculate. You could, you know what I mean? There's all sorts of sexual things that, and also yeah. by that, if, if fooling around isn't really sex, then that means lesbians never have sex. That's right. That's true. Which is quite a big thing when you think about it. That's and true. So, really belittling. Belittling and weird, and also it means that it, it means it, it's it means that it's not worth anything. So it doesn't matter. So therefore, you so cheating 
in a way right is sort of it diminishes it, the importance it diminishes and it also makes it not joyful and it makes it quite shameful yeah and also yeah. and i've had to say that in my extensive sexual engagements with american people it made sense to me i thought oh this is why you're so you could do with a bit more force foreplay skills you know right. what i mean because you're straight to the thing <laughs> just go straight right to the end result you're they're so yeah. result oriented Yes, it's very well. That's America for you. So everything's a competition. Yes, but I yes. think it, it's just very interesting to me that that the own the word that people have, like you could you could do many many sexual things with people. I mean, I think if you get naked with someone and you get hard and you're doing stuff, I think that's sex. I've had I've yeah. had sexual relationships. I've had sexual contact with them. I've called that yeah. weird. You say I certainly feel if I put my penis in someone's mouth or if I I feel like we've had sex. Whereas, uh, uh, and so the fact that you don't think that's, you can say that's just putting around, to me, means that you're missing out on how good that stuff can be. And also, you're kind of uh, saying it doesn't matter. Saying it's I know. Not, it's, it's, it's just, it's weird. I think it's yeah, weird. It, and also, you're making it childlike. And and also, like, the other thing in, in the same vein, as it were, is uh, that when people shave their pubes, and like have completely shaped, makes it you look like prepubescent, right? And I think, why are we trying to have our make our sexual organs look like children? What well, maybe why? it makes it look more impressive because it's like, well, if that belonged to an infant, it would be really like freakishly impressive. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm all for a bit of manscaping, uh-huh. but to actually go the whole hog, I think, uh-huh. is just really weird. Um, well, you talk about it in the context of the Bill Clinton scandal and how he said, mm. I did not have sex with sexual relations. Uh, and and you then go on to talk about Monica Lewinsky and you, mm. you how much you admire her and uh, I'm now curious if if you've seen uh, and and I don't want to take up too much time but um, if you've seen the, the series that I have been watching it yeah because I'm yeah. dear friends with Monica and she was uh, you know she was an executive producer on that and I talked to her a lot about it as it was happening and I find it fascinating I think it's really interesting to look at that from the women's points of view. And the sort of motivations that they had for behaving yeah. in the way and for doing things, whatever they did, all you know, Linda Tripp and uh, Paula Jones and and Monica, it's it's really yeah. fascinating to me. And I just, I just, you know, I think that um, I, I actually make an allusion in the book about why, you know, both Monica and I were very defined by our sexuality in 1998, right. me in a really positive way, and her in a very negative way. And yes. I was being, I was promoting and or you know, being sort of the poster boy and for you know sexual openness and pansexuality and and kind of devious deviousness uh or deviance rather and she was and i was kind of like oh isn't he great isn't he cookie isn't he sort of (laughs) liberating and she was was derided derided for yeah just you know so it's 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 was just an an interesting thing in writing this book trying to understand why all that had happened to me i actually talked about it in terms of what was going on in the in the country at the time, which was this every night on the news, we saw I know you know fooling around, yes, being completely yes. uh, vilified. Oh, okay, Alan, got it. This is too hard for me to do. Uh, lightning round, really quick. What uh, what is your most commonly used emoji? Uh, unicorn. A unicorn. Okay, that makes sense. If you could be a professional athlete, what sport would you play? Maybe the high jump. Uh, a professional high jumper. Yeah, it's a very lucrative yeah. uh, sport. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'd have... be the pole vault. I'd love to be the pole vault. I love pole vaulting. Pole vaulting now, Alan is not yeah. winking or making any sort of reference to that being a, um, <laughs> in a, a, a sexual metaphor. Um, if you could have one snack food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, spicy nuts. 
Spicy nuts again, not a euphemism. There's no, uh, no other implication. <laughs> What's your favorite movie sequel? Uh, actually, if you had kids, Alan, uh, is, is there a movie that you would love to introduce your uh, kids or, or nephews or whoever it may be? Well, you know, Spy Kids that I was in. Yes. I just love the way that that pe- that's changed the way that I interact with a whole generation yes. of people because I it's love a magical. It's 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 doesn't age. Kids still watch it now. Yeah. And I think kids are starting to show their kids it. And it's actually a really magical thing. And I feel that I'm very, I love the way that young people come up to me when they see it's me and they're like, you know, every day it happens. People are like, Mr. Floop, you know, and uh, people say there was, there was a hilarious thing happened with a boy in Albuquerque on a, on a film, a TV series I was making. And a boy came up to me, he was on the crew. And he came uh-huh. up and went, Alan, I've been, and I could tell he wanted to say something about Spy Kids. And he came up to me and went, Alan, I just have to tell you, 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 you touched me a lot when I was a little boy. And I was like, never <laughs> say that again. <laughs> and take two. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, uh, the Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. Oh, great. Um, well, who was your first celebrity crush? Lulu. Lulu? Yeah, Scottish okay. singer. Um, yeah. If you had to get a tattoo, another tattoo, uh, what would you get and, and where? And mm. obviously not near your genitals, not anybody's name. Yes, never again. Never um, again. Mm, I'm not so sure. I might get a, I might get a Scottish flag. Yeah. Okay. Good. Like a lot of Canadian people always have a maple leaf on their chest and things. Yes. Yeah, that's really great. I might get a little. I might get a Scottish flag. Um, what is your favorite fruit? Banana. Yeah. Oh, that's a great. I love that story too. We don't have time to tell it, but people should, should oh, yes. read the book. There's a really yes. good banana story in the book. Um, who would you want to play you in your biopic? Uh, Kate Blanchett. Yes. Uh, and who is your favorite Muppet? Um, Miss Piggy. Okay. Yes. Uh, your go-to pizza topping. Uh, I just like, I like margarita. Well, I mean, I, I like margarita with no cheese. And uh, do you have a favorite Beatles, uh, Beatles song that you would like to hear right now? If you could play any, if you're in a bar, you could go to a jukebox and hear a Beatles song. Here, there, and everywhere. Ah, fucking love that song. And there's a great, yes. Uh, Emmylou Harris does a great cover of that too. Oh, does she? You're in the market. Um, Alan, I know you're, you have to go. I, I can't thank you enough uh, for this. It's so the, nice to talk to you again, Justin. Likewise. Forever. I, li- I look forward to having a drink next time we see you. I other. would love that. That's all I kept thinking about reading this book. I just, I, uh, I, there's Because there are too many things. I need to talk about Gore Vidal. There are too many things I want to talk to you about. Um, uh, well, so I, I look forward to it. To be continued. Yes. Thank you, my friend. So, so that so just, that just happened. happened. That's right. Now, is, why is it not offensive to do that uh, that impression? Well, it might be. It might be. It might be. I remember. I, I was sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, some Scottish people that I knew would get a bit offended. Not offended, like, because Scottish people are very, like, uh, resilient and they, they, they take a joke, you know. Well, I was going to be a little more specific than that, but I, I agree. What were you going to say? I was going to say, first of all, please, please don't doing talk it. like that the entire time. <laughs> Second of all, to answer your, to answer your, um, Queer-y? I guess, rhetorical question uh-huh. um, <laughs> about whether or not he'd be offended by, if, why that might be offensive or not. I, it was a wee bit rhetorical. I would say that he strikes me as someone who is maybe incapable of being offended by anything. Yes, yes. Least of which 
is his accent. Yeah. Doesn't he seem yeah, like totally. he might have the thickest skin to- of any yes. human being alive? We, uh, we, so I certainly don't think he would be offended. That's and, that's my point. And it's and it's because when you read his book, you you understand like what he dealt with from his father. Like he um he gets into it a little bit in this in the book baggage, but the one before this, he he um really unpacks it. And I think if you can get past something like that and he confronted his father, if you can he says that this a version of this like he, th- that's when he ceased to, uh, being fearful. He he has no fear, and I believe him. I do too. Um, it's hard to imagine him ever being afraid of anything. I, I know, but but when you come to terms with something as deeply rooted as that father stuff, um, and when you have a father like that, and you have to confront him, which he did, that takes true courage. I really want to read that book. That's great. You'd love it. You know? uh, having listened to this interview, which I thought he was so fascinating. And told so many great stories. Oh, that scratches the surface. Oh, I, I really want to read this book. Now. Yeah, yeah, you would love it. He's like, um, he's like a magical sprite. You I know? know. There's something about him that's he's got whimsy, but also he's, with the, a, like, he's a pansexual nymph, which is, you know, I can say that because he said that about himself. Oh, that's right. That's he right. Is. He's a pansexual nymph. Yeah, I, I can see him. He he, he uh, like just being kind of loving with an, anybody. He's fluid. So fluid, yeah. Remember seeing- He's got real fluid energy. We saw him do cabaret together. Yes, we did. Remember? Yeah, and what What do you remember thinking? Remember when he went into the audience to like- Yes. P- take, take somebody up to dance with? Yes, what, like Walter Cronkite. That's a great story, too. <laughs> that's a too. great story. What were you, what was your feeling when he, he started going through the audience and you, you then realize when anything like that happens to me on stage, even though I'm an actor- there's always a part of me that's like, I get a little, like from, I remember being a kid. Remember we'd go to that Westport Country Playhouse. They they did children's shows. And every once in a while, like one of the actors would bring a kid on stage or like talk to a kid. And I remember getting so scared that they wouldn't mm. talk to me or bring me up. Isn't that weird? But the, I mean, compared to this though. <laughs> so the stakes Alan, Alan Cumming playing that character, sashaying through the crowd, looking for someone to bring up on stage and dance with. I think, to answer your question, I think it was the most scared I've ever been in my life. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> because I, kept, I I remember sweating and yeah. like my heart racing. Yeah, you talked about it all. Because he was close. He was like in my area for a while. Your you. Yeah. I was at, at a certain point, I remember being convinced that I was going to be the one pick. He had also almost missile locked onto you. Like he was like, beep, yes. beep, 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 beep. On Broadway, uh-huh. and he this the iconic really, character, yeah. and he has that character was like there was something uh, so like predatory, predatory yeah. about that character. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, if he does bring me on stage, he can get me to do anything. Yes, like he would have complete control over me <laughs> yes. and power over me, yes. in part because there's something extremely charming about him too. Yeah. Like you can't say no to him. I think I know what you're saying. So are you saying... He could do anything he wants. <laughs> Whoa. Not that he would, but I remember thinking I'd be powerless. be powerless. I'd be yeah. powerless. That's interesting. To this person. But that's an interesting fear to have. That And that it not... I mean, to unpack it a little bit, that it comes down to that, to to having power, that, that he would have power over you. And to do anything. I mean, like, if you play that yeah, out, play that out. I know, out. I know. But also, I was a... <laughs> I thought I would be humiliated, you know, because he has mm-hmm. this content. Yeah. And the person and the character both have this extraordinary amount of confidence. Right. And so he would just, in comparison, I would- You'd be embarrassed. I would, 
more than embarrassed. I would be, I think, humiliated <laughs> because I would not even come close right. to be able to match his. I know. Um, self confidence. See, my fear was would be that I would try. I'd be, I'd probably be one of those guys that would like try. And he sort of alluded to this. He definitely talks about it in the book how some guys like kind of try to like match him. And, like, I've seen that energy from guys where they're like, yeah, you try to go toe to toe. Try to go toe to toe. They're not tr- truly, but it's clear they're not as comfortable. And like, um, and then that ends up looking even more humiliating, right. uh, uh, rather than just like going up there red faced. And it, it's an interesting dynamic to think about. It's an interesting social dynamics like to put yourself in that position and and what it says about his about power and about um your insecurities and you know because you're right i know what you mean like that character and 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 there's an added component for me as an actor because like i should have i i should possess a similar confidence a stage confidence anyway but like i remember feeling really nervous too that he was going to pick me and like having as an audience member, there's, there's, you know, I'd like to think that if I was on stage with him, I would feel confident. Uh-huh, if I, like, uh-huh, knew that. Yeah. But like it, it, to, to break that fourth wall and to like go through that wall with somebody that like sure of themselves. Fearless. Fearless. Yeah. yeah. He is fearless. To be afraid around someone who's fearless. Maybe that's what it is. I think that's what it is. Yeah. It's like oil and water, yeah. you know? And also there's this sexual component to it, obviously, <laughs> yes, that yes, yeah. he is. Um, a pansexual component. I mean, he's such a good argument for sexual fluidity, know, you know. I know. Because I, I kind of associate, not that it's a choice, obviously, but I kind of associate his sexual openness and fluidity mm-hmm. with his fearlessness and openness and, like, comfort in who he is. Right. And, like, really knowing himself. And right. to the point where... I, it's hard for me to imagine um, there being a, a, a better path than than he's taken right. in terms of a openness. healthier one. So so then I start thinking, well, maybe everyone, mm-hmm. like if they really explore so maybe you think about it, then like, well, maybe I am a little bit. exactly. If you really explore yourself, yeah, you think, well, maybe we're all kind of capable of that right. of maybe, that level of openness. Maybe it's just about like not being used to something exactly. or, like, or it's scared. Of, it's like what Neil would say, Neil Patrick Harris when he was like you've never, you know, done such and such. He he tried to get really He's a good uh, he's a good case for sexual flu- fluidity <laughs> yeah, too. Yes, those are Yeah, I remember uh, doing a play with Alan it was the uh, we would do the 24-hour plays and I, I remember doing this with him like 20 years ago. I was I, I have a photo from it I should post um we could find it, but uh, he was. It was one of the first times I remember like being around a man who's who who had like who was giving me like kind of se- sexual in, in a very like I- innocent way, not at all in like a predatory way, but but in but in a flirtatious way. Like I was get receiving like energy from him that's that was suggestive and like mm-hmm. I, I, flirtatious. I would say. Um, and and how did that make you feel? Um, I mean, I was comfortable with it, but it was, de- it was, it was clear. It was like, uh, I, it was, and it was, I realized it just wasn't something I was used to, even though I, I'd spent a, l- a lot of time with like gay men and stuff. Maybe it was like, maybe it was also that he had this power that he had like a charm. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, like maybe it caused me to confront my own pot- potential fluidity and like, did I just come out, uh? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean, you have similar. You have there's something very similar in my mind between you and Alan Cumming in terms of, like you. You both have a kind of. Um, you, oh, this will be good. <laughs> <laughs> you're like there's something kind of like, I, I. This is gonna sound bad. This word, uh-huh. 
But I mean it in like a cool kind of open, fluid way. There's some kind of like wormy about both of you. <laughs> yeah, do you know, do you know yeah, what I'm I saying? do. I do kind of know what you mean. Yeah, like a yeah, like the, like it, kind um, of slither, between. like invertebrate. You know, like yeah, nothing. There's nothing spineless. <laughs> yeah, no, but non like non rigid. Yeah, is well, more what nice. I mean. I, I would I accept that as a compliment. Yeah. I, I uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like fluid Alan, and com- comfortable. Comfortable. And there's something that reminds yeah, me, like y- it, him of you. It's funny. Like when, when um, I, 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 like it, when it comes to even like, it's, I remember talking about doing like a kissing scene with a man in a movie. I, I like kissed a man in a movie. I remember people being like, oh, that's so, and there was a part of me that when I was talking about it, I was like, or after I did it, I remember apologizing to the actor. Um, because I was sick, so I remember saying it was Brandon Routh. Oh, wow. I remember saying to Brandon Routh, like, "I'm like, I'm sorry about that. You know, I'm I'm sorry for kissing you." Like, and he was like, "Oh no," but he was like a little uncomfortable. He was like, "Well, those are the characters." I said, "No, no," because I'm sick. It hadn't even occurred to me that it was w- weird. Even though we, you and I, grew up in a very, we grew up in a very like traditional. We weren't used to seeing gay men. I mean, we just weren't used to seeing affection between two that's members different. of the same. That's different. I, I was used to seeing gay men. I wasn't used to seeing affection, affection between yeah. them, among yeah. them. Yeah. Which is what's nice about like the change in our culture. It's nice that kids are growing up with like that being normalized. I have two compliments for you. Oh, yes. One, you s- very early into the conversation, you said, okay, you, I, I could tell that you glanced down at a piece of paper and you said, okay, so I, I Copied and pasted a bunch of your quotes here. And I thought, oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh-uh. You're just going to like <laughs> it's you're gonna Chris, you're gonna Chris Farley him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and you didn't, but you set him up for some great stories. And you, I thought it was really oh, effective oh, that yes. you read the book. Learning. You internalized it mm-hmm. and didn't just regurgitate things, but you effectively set him up to tell, you know, like oh, small parts of the book. Oh, that's Orally. Great. Yeah. So I thought that was really effective. Orally. I thought that was really effective. Um, and also, I admire your restraint not repeating his accent. Uh, that's back at as him. You I heard. was um, no offense. <laughs> I was quite amazed. Well, <laughs> that you had that restraint. I feel like because I know how much you like that accent. I do, as is evidenced by the beginning of this <laughs> exactly. outro. It's it's infectious. You know what it is about it? It's so like lyrical. There's something about it that's playful. Pl- yeah, playful, but like sing songy. It's got it's why I like doing Paul McCartney is my favorite Beatle, because he was the one that was oh he was up and down. That he's a lot more like lyrical. His was mm-hmm. or the other ones like George, you know, uh, Ringo was more. But his was more. Ooh, he's it, I I love his voice so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's because it's closest to that. Oh, that Scottish, you know. It's great. You want to read a letter? Should we do it? Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. Efficient. Efficient. All right. That's nice. And we don't. We should have confidence. And it's a great episode. Oh, great stories. Stories. Tell yeah. great stories. There's more like Alan. That means there'll be more Alan in the episode. Yes. All right. Here we go. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm eating some pomegranate. You know, I don't think we've ever had pomegranate as a favorite fruit. Is this your way of extending the episode yeah, as much as possible? Yeah, doing my accent more. Okay. From Kelsey Bennett. Why am I being like this? Why am I so... Okay. Because I'm trying to switch gears. I don't want to. Oh, really? That's what that that's, means? I think maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Why do you have to analyze everything? All right. <laughs> from, from, from Kelsey Bennett. Subject, I miss the lime Skittle flavor. Oh, I do too. Yeah. You creaked into that one. 
Great. I uh, do too. I got to oil this chair. Yeah, I know. Well, now you're. Or just talk about it a, a lot. <laughs> Dear Justin, Christian, and friends, I'm a bit behind in listening to episodes as I've just started listening from the beginning a few months ago, but reached the Asa Gonzalez episode today and absolutely had to weigh in on the green Skittles debate. Okay. The lime flavor was so much better than green apple, and it is truly tragic that it has been removed from the mix. Couldn't agree more. It really? I disagree. It messes it's, up the entire balance. And they had a perfect balance. Those five flavors in the, in the original Skittles, perfect balance. I don't get why you need the, a lemon and a, and a lime. Perfect balance. I mean, lemon and limes, this is pretty much the same flavor. What? When it comes to like, that artificial You just disqualified flavor. yourself from being part of this conversation. Lemon and lime? You don't think it's similar enough? And then now you more get, similar than the other flavors, but yeah, it's not. So this, why not? It's different. You just don't like the green apple. You don't like a green apple. If but it was a whole apple, uh, blow pop. Here's the thing. Blow pop. <laughs> if there's a whole bag, blow, blow if there's a whole bag of green apple Skittles and someone offered me that bag, mm -hmm. I might not turn it down. My issue isn't with that flavor as much as it is the combination, I how know. it fits in with it's, the others. We've gotten into this. It's the way we eat Skittles is like you eat them a bunch at a time. I alternate. Sometimes I do flavor by flavor. I do I do least to best. Uh -huh. I do least favorite to but, most but favorite. But I'm saying you're doing one flavor at a time. You're not pouring a bunch of different flavors. You're not invading your mouth with like. Sometimes like, I am. Oh, really? Sometimes I just I just pour a little handful and see how they mix. How they mix. And the green apple. But I don't do that anymore with because the green apple. the green apple, apple mixes poorly. With mixes poorly. Why? It's overpowering? Uh, kind of. It just, it messes up the perfect balance. It's, it's too, it, it stands out too much. Huh. You know, it's like, to me, it's like putting Tabasco sauce on scrambled eggs. Oh, huh. It's just, it, it, it's too loud. Yeah, I don't like to mess with flavors I already like. So if you are also so used to that balance, I mean, that's the other thing. You grew up with it and Skittles were your favorite. It's true. I can't separate my experience, but I still prefer the balance. Well, Kelsey agrees. Back to Kelsey. I've never before encountered anyone who cared as much about this or honestly seemed to care at all, but it is a hill I would die on and I get very fired up on this topic. The green apple flavor feels completely random given the mix of other flavors in the pack, unlike the lime, which fits so well. That's Couldn't agree saying. more. Yeah. I was so glad to hear Christian arguing the right side of this, <laughs> though sorry to Justin and anyone else who believes green apple is better. Well, that's okay. I mean, I, I like I would that. die on this hill too. Yeah. I wouldn't. Also, I thoroughly appreciated hearing the order in which you each eat Skittles flavors as it made me so happy to hear others having a conversation I have had loads of times. Additionally, I once heard of finding your Skittles soulmate, i.e. the person who eats Skittles in the exact opposite order as you, so that in theory, you could split a pack of Skittles and both eat your favorite flavors. That's funny. I've yet to find my own, she says. I've yet to find my own Skittles soulmate. My Skittles order from what flavor I eat first to last is green. Okay, first to last. Wow, green is, wow, that's crazy. Green's her favorite. How do you know it's her favorite? It, she says, from what flavor I, w I eat first to last. Doesn't mean it's her favorite. I eat my least favorite first. Oh, yeah. My Skittles order from what flavor I eat first to last. You're right. She doesn't say my favorite. My uh, Is green, yellow, orange, red, purple. I suspect that red and purple are her favorite. I do, too. Because they're usually, more commonly yeah. people's favorites. <laughs> but I'm very supportive of the concept and love talking about it whenever the topic of Skittles comes up. Thank you for bringing such an important issue as the loss of the Lime Skittle to light. Big fan of the podcast and your acting performances. Thank Oh, it's nice of you, Kelsey. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Kelsey B. from Massachusetts. All right. She gets it. She gets as it. As our she's friend from, Togo would say. She's from Mass. She's she from, gets it. Yeah, she's from Mass. One, one night our... <laughs> 
our one friend from Massachusetts said that about Kia, our other friend from Massachusetts. Kia gets it. He's from Mass. He gets it. So now anyone from Massachusetts, we say, oh, they get it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, thanks, Kelsey. And, and um, here, here. Here, here. Bring back Lime. We should start a petition. Bring back Lime Skittle. Yeah, you think that would catch on? It could. That's true. But I, I could. Obviously, I'm being like super arrogant about my position on this, but I've heard a lot of people say they prefer green apple. Well, maybe the... Oh, you have? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just don't. It's taste. Yeah. I, I, I suspect... Well, you know, maybe other people can weigh I in do like this. green apple flavor. Yeah. I like that flavor. But you think in this case it throws off the balance. I do. Um, well, thank you to everybody. Well, t- tell us how you feel if you want to write in about any Skittles flavor. I wonder what Alan Cumming thinks. You know what I bet? I don't know. I bet he likes them all. Yeah. All, they're, so, they're all so good. He likes them all. Yeah. It would be a very Alan Cumming thing <laughs> to, like to be all. open to all yeah. the Skittles. Yeah. And I never... I, I'm not going to discriminate from yeah. one Skittle to another. I like this. They're all so good. <laughs> I'm trying not to eat as much sugar because I'm trying to maintain my, my puckish frame. You're uh, good at that. Yeah, I, I like it. I love hearing him talk. I love talking to him. It's such a, tr- a treat to enjoy the like substance of what somebody's saying yes. and the way they're saying it. And I think it's fair to say that if there was ever someone who would be serve as an entree into the world of bisexuality, he yes. would be that for you. He'd be a great MC. Yes. And for that world. If you if <laughs> that's true. All right, let me and gentle and like, yes. you know, I'm you, you go at your own pace, like you start off. You don't have to do it all at the same time. It's point. something for you to be open to, something for you to consider. <laughs> I what does it mean if I'm open to the uh the consideration of it? Um that might mean you're by Curious? I guess so. But I don't know if by curious is like a an accepted thing. See, and I don't want to say the reasons why I'm not. I don't think I qualify as that because I don't want to be offensive. Right. And I don't want to it's just I I well, don't know that I describe myself. Well, very that way. simply, I would say the the main reason that neither of us would describe ourselves as bisexual is because we haven't had a sexual experience with a man. Right. Yeah. Well, that's so. Yeah, like the proof is true. in the pudding. That's true. We're met. We're <laughs> I didn't. I we're didn't, men in our forties, <laughs> and we've only had experiences with one thing. So, yeah. doesn't that give you some indication what our sexuality is by um, now? Like, isn't it likely that this is the way it's going to be now? Right. At forty-three years old, yeah. you kind of know we're not fifteen. <laughs> that's true. And we live in a very open culture, and, yeah. and we know Alan Cummings. So, like, if we were to have explored that, it. Probably would have been probably, and not to say that Alan would have been open to it. I'm not saying like he right. would have. It's arrogant of me to to suggest, but I remember us having a really good connection. <laughs> At the same time, I think it's okay to say never say never. That's true. You know, you especially never especially when you know Alan coming. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you to Alan and uh, God. What a, what an enjoyable person to talk to. I just and his book again. Uh, please pick it up. It's called Baggage. And it, it is so good. If you, if you enjoyed that at all. As I much can't as, wait to read that. Oh, you'll love it. Um, and to Kelsey for writing in. Yes. And for having the correct Skittles opinion. And if you guys would like to write in, our email address is lifeisshort at wondery.com. So thank you all. And thank you to Alan and everyone, all the Scottish people. And uh, and, and if I offended any of you with my impression, please forgive me. It's, it's, all, it's purely out of affection. Life could be a dream, life could be a dream. Life is Short is hosted by me, Justin Long. It's co-hosted and produced by you, Christian Long. It's also produced by Megan V, Monaco, and Katie V. Alan, senior producers, 
Michelle. Mish. Lance. And the audio engineer is... Sergio Enriquez. Executive producer is... Marshall Louis. And all of it is for this wonderful company. <sighs> <laughs> That's called Wondering. Wondering. All right, sorry. Bye. Bye. I hate glitter so much. Glitter's the worst. I hate it because I love the way it looks. And it tricks you. You love the it way it looks. I really like the way it looks. It tricks you into like. It makes you like the the looks of it so much, to the point where you buy a product that has it on it, and then you're stuck with it, and you can't get it off your hands. Have you ever tried to get glitter off your body? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. Watch the love. It's impossible. Soap and water doesn't do it. Crazy. Have you ever tried? I hate glitter. I've hated glitter for decades. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Life is Short ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com/slash survey. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This mother lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts